Hogan is pissed, Sonny is suing, and Eric is about to make his big return. You listen to them talk about Super Brawl 2000? Now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olsen. That's me. I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Woo! Hello, 83 Weeks fans. We got the strobe lights going just for you tonight because this is your show. It is all about 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. We love it just as much as you do, and we are going to break down all the moments of this week's episode about Super Brawl. And also, Eric Bischoff himself will be joining us live to answer your questions in just a few minutes. Uh, But first, we got a lot to talk about on this episode of the show. And joining me to do so, as per usual, is Eric's digital producer, Steve Kaufman. Why, hello, I'm Steve Kaufman. I'm here at Twitter, and I will speak above it. I didn't... That was, it was me. Oh, okay, good. (laughs) That was... We can still turn my audio off, but things happen, strobe lights are happening, and I'm happy to be here. Yay! Well, welcome, and next to you is the guy we call the Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment... Uh, he's also an independent wrestler, but you can call him George Hermosa. Hello, everyone. Is raising the roof still a thing? Uh, uh, we can make it a thing right here on After 83 Weeks. Drop that beat. I think it can come back. I feel like that is... That's not going to get blocked, is it? If no. me tuning or no. humming the Harlem Heat theme it's, it's appropriate that we're kicking this off big time tonight because all of our live viewers in the chat are ready to have a party. Uh, Teddy Corbin has got his feta cheese stuffed olives and triple IPAs going. He's Triple. drinking it up, ready to go. Boris is sitting there looking forward to this. Hello, Boris and Ben, everybody who has come join us to hang out. And, of course, guys, make sure you are getting your questions ready for Eric because he will be joining us via Skype in just a few minutes. So, yeah, they're, they're giving you props, George. They are cheering you on. Let's do that means, this. I mean, they are raising the roof as well. Dun, 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 yes. Dun, 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 dun. I have to talk over you so we don't get a strike. I'm kidding. I don't think it's that good. I don't think content ID is that good. <laughs> well, it's probably going to be like a Harlem Heat where we have to, you know, battle for the T. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, not to take too quick of a nosedive here on the after show, but Super Brawl 2000 wasn't exactly WCW's best pay-per-view efforts, as was agreed upon by Eric, who wasn't even there at the time. This was under the thumb of one Vince Russo. Nope, he wasn't there either. This was... Parts, creatively, parts of this were under the thumb of Vince Russo. Vince Russo was gone by the time. Vince Russo was to blame for this still, even though he wasn't there? Is that a more accurate way of putting it? I don't think that either. It's just because he was gone, and I feel like a lot of the ideas that he had, because even like some of the main players that he was trying to use, they all left for the WWE. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It just this time period, January through April, was just so boring. This well, is one of the worst periods in WCW, I think. And it was reflected in their business. Pole. Strikes me as a Vince Russo match. Fighting for the letter T. They uh, fought for the letter T. I mean, it's one of those where it's like, Eric always says, like, you gotta have stakes. But, I mean, you're fighting for a letter. Right. Well, no, it was about Booker T kind of turning his back on, you know, the boys in the hood and the where they grew up. And, I mean, there's, there was some good story there, as Eric acknowledged. Mm-hmm. It could have been good. But when you're fighting for the letter T, it was literally Booker T versus Big T. Loser can't use the T. Ryan, you know who you are. We don't have a Sesame Street Deathmatch shirt by Friday. <laughs> no, other, there's a different Ryan. But there, there's a different Ryan. Different but, Ryan, my bad. Yes. There's a Ryan who does the T-shirts that I, I DM'd him yesterday. Because Sesame Street Deathmatch. So it just me. became Booker. 
Yep. And he came out to uh, not the Harlem Heat music, but something else because he couldn't because he lost the rights to anything Harlem Heat related. <sighs> Meanwhile, Mr. T was somewhere going, uh, guys, <laughs> I already got this trademarked. <laughs> Mr. T was somewhere not watching Super Bowl on 2000, I guarantee Day. you. On Mama's Day. On, I don't know. I remember that holiday oh, speech. Well, guys, in the live chat, let us know what your thoughts were while listening to uh, Eric recant Super Brawl 2000. And if you guys want to join us live, you can hit us up right here anytime on the 83 Weeks channel. We do this Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific. And if you'd like to listen instead, you can also so catch this on Apple Podcasts. Although, you know, Eric Bischoff is a pretty good-looking guy with a great head of hair, as he has acknowledged himself. So you, of course, want to tune in live and get your questions to him. On that note, you guys have already given us some hot takes on this uh, <laughs> on this pay-per-view episode. You're not usually this fired up. What was it about Super Brawl 2000 specifically that has you so hot, George? It just reminded me of a period where just wrestling, or WCW, was just so boring, and this was just so heartbreaking. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline because we we saw what ended up happening just a year later I, I don't know I mean even though there's there's a lot of wrestling on these days yeah. there's just something very different about how the Monday Night Wars was and just knowing that what it ended up becoming a year later where WCW was no more it just I don't know I hate that, that knowing that like they were just going to be gone in a year and this was this period just did not help because it's just one of those instances where WCW was so bad it didn't help that WWF was so good right it's so it's weird. You tell me WrestleMania weeks from mere weeks from now is probably going to be 10 plus matches. And I'm excited for that amount of wrestling in one night. It's probably going to be 10 plus hours. <clears throat> Very much. Let's be real. If you tell me Super Brawl 2000 is 11 matches, I'm out. <laughs> I could I could tell you exactly which ones to absolutely cut. That like that just looking at the time code and the, like they, they cram 11 matches into this. And there's a Ric Flair, Terry Funk, Texas Deathmatch that doesn't even break 20 minutes? Yeah. How do you have a Texas Deathmatch not break 20 minutes? When, you, when both like, of your players are in their 50s. It doesn't have to be 20 minutes. I don't like, I, but those two in the position you put them, I think if they had it their way, they wouldn't. If they had it their way to pick how much time they have, I don't think they would have picked under 20 minutes. Right. They would have been like, no, it's a Texas Deathmatch. A lot needs to happen. Just built into the stipulations. I'm surprised that what you guys aren't all PO'd about is that Eric was defending Prince Iakea. I've always been a big fan of Prince Iakea. You've been a big fan of Prince Iakea? Yeah, I, mean, I think he has nothing wrong. I mean, what's wrong with them trying to push new talent? That's not what I have against Prince Iakea. I didn't. Um, I think his presentation is a bit all over the place. Right. From where he started to where we saw him in 2000. And do we want to do we want to uh, invite our guest into? Yeah, let's get the thoughts of the host of 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, who has joined us via Skype right now. Hello, Eric Bischoff. Hello, everybody. Hello around the world, all four corners of the globe. Happy to be with you today. Does that mean you think the world is flat? Oh, man, I don't want to touch that. (laughs) No. (laughs) I just flew halfway around it. I'm sure it's not flat. <laughs> Although I'm sure Eric Bischoff revealed as a flat earther would make some major headlines. 
Yeah, stir up some controversy, and you know what they say about that. <laughs> it doesn't create cash. <laughs> it can. It can indeed. Uh, I did, I'm sure, for you in the last week or so on your trip to Qatar uh, slash Qatar. How are you feeling being back in the U.S.? Are you still a little jet lagged? That's a long trip. No, I, th- I think I kicked out of it Monday afternoon, maybe yesterday morning. I was feeling pretty good. I did get. Uh, I caught something on the plane, which I'm almost afraid to say out loud now because of this coronavirus, you know, craziness. Yeah. But uh, I, I started feeling pretty bad on my way over, and I actually I was flat on my back for two days while I was there, so I didn't get to do as much as I'd like to do. And then of course I came home with it. So, uh, I'm, but I'm kicking out of it all. I feel good, and uh, life goes on. It absolutely does. Did you have some fun interactions with the fans over there, or uh, were yeah, you sequestered yeah, I, to the room? No, I wasn't sequestered. I, I self-sequestered, I guess. <laughs> I, I did get out a little bit and walked around Doha to take in the sights. Absolutely gorgeous city, by the way. Wonderful people. Amazing food. And I uh, look forward to going back, um, hopefully in October. So I did get to see a little bit. But I, you know, I met a lot of fans at the venue. Uh, before and after the show and uh, wonderful wonderful fans it is really great that's cool well i think we've got something fun to kick off the show with tonight here with you eric we want to get your reaction to a comment that kevin nash made just in the last couple of days this was on twitter and um, he's talking to a fan who said he was praising you, and um, he's saying we need Eric to go in with the NWO in the Hall of Fame. This is something you've been hearing, obviously, lately. But we have finally have a comment from Kevin Nash who said, I feel Eric should go in alone. His contributions warrant a solo induction. What do you think about that? Well, that was nice of Kevin to say. Yeah. And, you know, Kevin's <clears throat> never one to hold back an opinion. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I don't know how else to take it other than it was a very kind thing for him to say. And it was a compliment. So uh, beyond that, I, I don't think too much about it. Well, we wanted to make sure you saw that one. I uh, did indeed. I did. Oh, so good. did about 35,000 other people that are on my Twitter feed. So, <laughs> Who all tagged you in it, I'm sure. Yes. Now, we saw Tank Abbott on this pay-per-view, and I'm just kind of curious about the overall. I know you weren't there specifically for this specific pay-per-view, but you were there, obviously, the year before, the year before. But uh, UFC was not, you know, the place that it is now, even not even close. But were they at all on your radar in terms of pay-per-view and making sure that your audience would buy your pay-per-view and not maybe UFC's pay-per-view, which was still kind of a new venture for the pay-per-view market? Well, they were... uh Certainly on my radar, no question about it. You know, the UFC was uh, – it was new. It was provocative. It was controversial. Nobody had ever seen anything like it before. It was getting a lot of buzz, not the kind of buzz it gets now, but it was getting a lot of buzz. And I was instrumental in bringing Tank Abbott in from the UFC. And it, not because I thought, you know, boy, here's a great, you know, kind of tactical way to – you know, take some of their audience and make sure they don't steal our audience. None of that kind of thinking was a part of it. Uh, for me, I love Tank's character. He was a crazy, you know, they build him as a pit fighter. And I'm like, what the hell is a pit fighter? I've been in martial arts for 20 years. I knew a lot of professional fighters and knew a lot of people in the game at that time. And I never heard of a pit fighter. But, I, you know, but they were making up a lot of nonsense. You know, guys were, you know. 10th, 10th degree black belts in some, you know, pit fighting, street brawling, you know, style of martial arts. But, you know, Tank was a really 
big, gregarious, interesting character. And I thought, you know, here's a guy that's, you know, emerging on a new platform that's getting a lot of interest. And he's a larger than life character. He's a crazy son of a bitch. Was that. He's toned down now. Uh, and I just thought it might be an interesting transition. Uh, Will Farrell number one in the chat wants to know, what are your thoughts on MLW wrestling? And I'll preface that with, have you seen any MLW wrestling? I have not. You know, I think I saw an episode of MLW about a year ago. Uh, I was traveling somewhere, and believe it or not, it was on in the hotel uh, that I was staying in. And I did, you know, I watched it, you know, for a few minutes. But uh, there's nothing about it that's really unique. There's nothing new there. There's nothing uh, that makes it that much different than anything else, you know, on the indie scene other than that they have television. And I, I, it's, I don't mean that to sound disparaging. I'm, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure they've got a lot of fans, and I'm sure there's some great talents on the roster and all those, you know, disclaimers. But, you know, and there's just nothing new about it. You know, it's not a new presentation. And I kind of, you know, that's, that, that's what I look for. You know, for me, it's one or the other. I either want to go to what I know, kind of like, you know, comfort food, I guess, like kind of macaroni and cheese for my mind, if you will, and go to something that I'm really, really familiar with. Or I want to go to something that's kind of completely different and has uh, in marketing, they call it a USP or a unique selling proposition, something about it that makes it different than the rest of everything else I watch. And to me, MLW, from what I've, the little bit I've seen a long time ago, and I probably you know, couldn't quite honestly owe them an apology. Maybe they are doing something. I just haven't. I just haven't heard about it. Um, but no, I haven't really watched it, so I don't have an opinion. Well, the chat rules got several questions for you about AEW. Uh, whether you think they'll continue to be a success, or you know which baby faces you would turn heel. I want to take that a little step further and talk to you about something that Tony Khan said this week. He gave an interview and he talked about how AEW is taking examples of what not to do from WCW. He said that if WCW had produced competitive shows and run them logically, then the Monday Night Wars would have lasted for decades. He added that WCW was badly mismanaged and was a real disservice to the. Fans he took you guys to task for advertising matches that would never happen and for signing talent to six-figure deals without ever working. That's pretty harsh. Um, I'm actually kind of sorry I just said all that to you, Eric, even though I know you're... <laughs> you let these oh, things kind of roll off like your back. I, I haven't heard anything like that before. I uh, know that's an interesting you know, thing for uh, Mr. Khan to say. He's been in the professional wrestling business for uh, – what time is it? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's about a cup of coffee, I think. My co- I think your coffee could still be warm at this point. Um, and so far he spent, from what I've heard, I don't know if it's accurate or not. I want to make sure I say that. Somewhere between 30 and $50 million to prove that he could be competitive with WWE's developmental territory. You know, I, 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 you know, call me in a couple of years and tell me what you've done that's really unique. Call me in a couple of years and let me know how you've changed the industry. Uh, call me in a couple of years when your show is one of the top, if not the top, uh, original piece of programming on the TNT network. Call me in a couple of years when you're number two, number three, number four in all of cable programming uh, for the night in prime time. And then let's talk about it. But until then, mm, 
I'll just get another cup of coffee and see what happens. <laughs> Boom. I like that. In your absence last week, we had a lot of fun talking about action figures. Uh, I want to talk about maybe your action figure. I want to say you, uh, the first time you had an action figure, maybe I'm wrong, late 2002 to uh, early 2003, that WWF Ruthless Aggression uh, series action figure. What was your reaction to seeing one of your first action figures that, you know, that looked so lifelike? Or what was your thoughts about seeing you in the form of, of an action figure? I thought it was really interesting because, you know, they had me so jacked up. You know what I mean? I, I looked like I had massive biceps. My hands were like Shaquille O'Neal hands. You know, I was like, wow, I'm a bad mofo. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, it was just, you know, it's just one of those things you go, wow, that's kind of cool. Check that off the list of things that you hope happen someday. And now I think I, <coughs> excuse me. I think I actually have one or two in storage somewhere, but I haven't seen them in about 10 years. Uh, Boris V. Spider-On in the chat wants, Eric, what do you think about the norm- numerous title changes and the ridiculous title changes at the time, especially Vince Russo putting the belt on himself? I don't think I've actually heard you speak to that. To Vince Russo putting the title uh, on himself on television. You know, uh, if you made a, a list of all the ridiculous things that Vince Russo did, that would probably end up somewhere in the middle. So it, it kind of gets lost in my mind. It just gets lost in the general mm. cr- creative dysfunction of what was and is probably still Vince Rousseau. It, it, it's just another one of those things, you know, like, you know, Judy Bagwell on a pole, I guess, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know? Do you think that... Do you think there is a definite hard and fast booking rule that the authority figure should never book themselves as champion? Or do you think it's case specific? Well, uh, if I had to pick, you know, if it's a binary kind of thing, then I'm going to go with don't ever do it because mm. the odds are you're going to be safe. But look, you know, you, you look at the Mr. McMahon character, you know, not that he necessarily ever put the title on himself, but didn't have to. Or maybe he did. I don't he know. Did. You guys tell me. He, did. Right. he well, did. He's <laughs> a former so, WWF and ECW champion. All right. Well, then, <laughs> one could argue defensively, defensively, that that was a, probably a pretty good idea. And it probably made a lot of money for them. Um, for someone like Vince Rousseau, you know, probably look at it from a 180-degree point of view. Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor's going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.com FM to get started. All right. Well, uh, for Ryan, I don't know. And... Let's, maybe hey, maybe Tony Khan. You know, I, 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 heard he, I heard he likes to get in the ring. I see that you know, skinny little guy get in the ring and you know put on a show. That'd be great. <laughs> oh, and if Ryan in the booth would just turn us up a tad, the chat rollers say they want to hear us a little bit louder. And uh, Eric, for you, Kenneth Ross just wants to, no, I'm sorry, Amason just wants to say hi. He said he used to run into you at Cave Creek back in the day at Harold's. Harold's, I love Harold's. Yeah, Harold's is a little, uh, well, little, it was back in, I think, the 30s or 40s, a little bar on a dirt road in the middle of a little town called Cave Creek. And now it's actually become 
one of the largest Pittsburgh Steeler bars outside of the, uh, the state of Pennsylvania. And it was about a mile and a half from my house. And, uh, yeah, you go there on Sundays and watch football and have a blast. Well, that sounds like fun. And Kenneth Ross wants to know, Eric, do you find it as hard to get emotionally invested in wrestling programming now as compared to the 90s and 2000s as he does? Uh, it is hard for me. It It is. And, and I don't know. <clears throat> you know, I was th- actually thinking about that on the plane coming home. Um, I don't know if it's me and the fact that my tastes have changed and the things that I'm most interested in have changed. I'm certain that's got to be a big part of it. I also think that there is a sameness um, that we see in the industry, at least in WWE. I've talked about it you know, before I even went to work there, while I was working there, and now subsequently. Um, goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier. You know, If you're going to catch my attention, if you're going to get me really engaged, show me something different. Show me something that piques my interest, that grabs my attention. And I don't see a lot of that. I see a lot of great matchups. There's a lot of great talent. There's a lot of great action each and every week. And I'd be hard-pressed, unlike probably you guys, because you're more submerged, submerged in it you know, than I am. But I'd be hard-pressed you know, to pick out some big moment over the last six or eight months that made me go, wow, that's pretty cool. It's all good, but I've seen very little great. Yeah, that's such a good point. Uh, I want to talk about you as a performer, uh, specifically in when you were in WWF. Uh, when you were there, were you just strictly kind of in the zone of, as far as doing what you needed to do? And I'm thinking of, for example, One Night Stand, ECW One Night Stand 2005, where you were there, crowd was raucous. Were you actually able to maybe enjoy the show just from that point oh. of view? Or was you, were you just in performer mode the whole night? To, to me, there's no difference. you know, And that's one of the things that I miss about performing. Um, I... I never didn't have a blast. I never didn't get into it just as much as the people who were paying to sit there and watch it. Uh, I loved it. And the ECW pay-per-view in particular, uh, for a heel character like me to get the kind of reaction I got there, it was damn near orgasmic. (laughs) I mean, how... It doesn't get better than that. I mean, I, I, I don't want to get too crazy here and make parallels, but you know, I, I can only imagine that it's no different than a, 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 a traditional actor or actress, you know, being on Broadway and getting a standing ovation. You know, when you're in a venue that's that small and, and intimate, you know, it's just all right there. You know, you can. You know, throw an empty cup and, you know, hit somebody in the ring with it if you want or a full one. You know, it's not like a big 20,000 seat arena. And what happens in a venue like that naturally uh, is just the energy is it's infectious. It's it just for me, it, it just turned me on so much. Now, add to the fact that it was an ECW show and I've been, you know, evil Eric or what was that? Was that ATM Eric and Evil Eric? <laughs> I, I was Satan, you know, in, to, to ECW fans for so long that the heat index was off the charts in that small little intimate environment. I just, I, I, I get excited talking about it, and I've never, I've never been in a situation as a performer 
where I wasn't excited before I went out. And some of that was the way I trained myself, I guess, or managed myself. I would literally, you know, I think if you talk to people that worked with me in WWE, you know, probably 15, 20 minutes or so, maybe more, before I was ready to go out, I would walk up in a gorilla and I would stand in a corner with my back to everybody and I would just visualize what I wanted to see happen. I would visualize the scene. I would visualize the reaction. I would say a prayer uh, right before I went out. But I would, in my mind, I would create that scene and that angle or the, whatever it was I was doing. And I would, I, would, I would see it so vividly so that by the time I walked through the curtain, I wasn't going out there to play a part. I was going out there to experience what I was seeing in my head. And the reactions, uh, it just fed that. It just, I loved it. So I've, I've never been in a scene where I, not, not in WWE. Uh, I've been in other scenes <clears throat> that I didn't quite have the same level of uh, enthusiasm. But when, you know, with WWE, because of the size of the crop, really, it's, you, God, if you're, if you're a performer and you don't find a way to, condition yourself, train yourself, manage yourself, whatever you want to call it, so that you can go out there and feel that adrenaline naturally, you're missing 50% of it. You're, you're delivering, you're only delivering half of what you're capable of delivering or less, and you're missing the most fun part of it because now you're in it. And it's it's real to you in that moment. In, in the moment that you're out there, what I was doing, what I was saying, what I was projecting was as real to me as what I'm doing with you guys right now. Uh, staying on topic, I want to ask about ECW One Night Stand 2006. How much of what you said in the promos leading up to it and the promos that night were scripted production-wise, and how much of it was a bit more freeform as it felt? Mm. I, I don't think there was much of a distinction from a production point of view, keep in mind it was a WWE production. It wasn't an ECW production. Uh, there was a little more latitude in terms of some of the things that took place in the ring. It, there was a little bit more latitude in, in terms of what I could say to the audience and the, the level of healness that I could bring to the game because it, it wasn't as sanitized of, of a show as a traditional WWE show would have been. So there was more room to play. But it was pretty well structured, you know. And look, when I – it's funny. When I went to WWE as a talent, I, I knew that I was going to have to – I was going to have to make some tr tr transitions. I'd have to change the way that I thought about things because I was no longer the guy running the show. I was a talent for hire. I was there to do a job, just like if you audition for a commercial. You know, you're not there to tell the director or the client or the ad agency how they can do a better job with this commercial. Your job is to go there and do what you auditioned to do to the best of your ability. And that's the way I looked at everything I did in WWE, whether it was part of an ECW production or not. So in, in my headspace, I was there to do my job. Now, my, the challenge sometimes was taking a scene or a promo, whatever you want to call it. And reading it on paper and going, well, this feels, this doesn't feel like me. This doesn't feel very exciting. And that's where, that's where the talent of being a talent comes in. It's not necessarily just going out and doing it. It's figuring out a way to internalize it. Kind of going back to what I said before uh, about 
you know, imagining, you know, imagining the scene and being in it. Sometimes you'd have to take it and tweak one or two little things. And for me, it wasn't so much about changing the words or the message is how I delivered those words and the smile or, or scowl I had on my face at the right moment or the breath, 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 breath. Remix on the breath, 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 breath. Hopefully. All right. We're calling Eric back immediately. Uh. Just a minor technical difficulty there, guys. Uh, We're going to get Eric back in just a second. But when we do, I'm going to take him to task about all this visualization. It's yes. like, this all sounds very new agey. I didn't know that Eric was such a such a fan of that sort of thing. I'm wondering if he's a manifester as well. Ooh, if he does I some meditation. That. That's a lot of M words you're saying. If he's into the crystals, okay. there's a C word for you. <laughs> I feel like crystals is where he draws the line. I mean, <laughs> manifesting and uh, I think manifesting and meditation strikes me as something that's a part of his routine. You think then that's going to be the end of it? There he is. All right, right back here, Eric. I was I was just saying you talking about all this visualization and all that is like very new agey of you. I didn't know that about you. Are you also like a manifester? Do you meditate? Are you into that kind of thing? I know, I know. Can you guys hear me all right? Yes. yes. Okay, because um, for whatever reason, I don't have you, but that's okay. Um, I can hear you through my uh, laptop speakers. Uh, no, I don't. I don't meditate. Um, I guess I always, except as a young boy, um, I was big on visualizing the things that I wanted. You know, I had an idea, you know, of the first car that I really wanted. I just fell in love with this 64 Ford Galaxy convertible. Ooh. And, yeah, it was an awesome car. Chocolate brown, mag, wheels, white top, badass car. 352 Ford, four barrel in it. Awesome. Glass packs. I was the shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when, it, when, it was, when I found something, you know, that I wanted to achieve or acquire, um, I've always kind of visualized it, but I don't take it too much further than that. Well, that's cool. Kind of goes along with a question that Amason 1984 has. He said, what is that match that had the biggest impression on you as a kid? That one match that made you a big fan, and they're guessing that it's going to be an AWA match. Um, you know, those are the ones that I remember the most because by the time I was watching AWA, I was 14, 15, 16 years old. And, you know, my interest in professional wrestling was different than it was when I was six or eight, you know, in Detroit watching as a kid. When, when you're a kid or when I was a kid, for me, it was just, you know, these big guys, you know, beating the hell out of each other and yelling at each other. And it was the kind of the visceral energy of it all that caught my eye. I didn't analyze it too much beyond that. As you get older and your fandom uh, matures a little bit, uh, you start looking at things a little bit differently and the things that um, compel you to watch are different. And for me, by the time I was, again, 14, 15, 16 years old here in Minneapolis, you know, watching Nick Bockwinkle cut a promo to this day, still, I think, some of the best television ever produced in this industry. Uh, watching, you know, uh, uh, who is another one of my favorite? Larry the Axe Hennig, Kurt Hennig's father. You know, I loved watching Larry the Axe Hennig. Ivan Putsky, you know, the Russian bear, loved watching Ivan Putsky. The Crusher, you know, was another big favorite of mine. All of those guys had a tremendous impact on me. Baron Von Rowski, all the way down the line, they all had big impressions on me. But it was really 
Nick Bockwinkel versus just about anybody was always just an amazing match to watch. And then you'd see Nick Bockwinkel and Brent Gagne. They would put on a great match. Nick Bockwinkel, and Kurt, Nick Bockwinkel and Kurt Henning to this day is still some of my favorite action in the ring, partly because of what it meant to me as a kid or the way I reacted to it as a kid. But those are the matches that stand out in my mind. Oh, I love to hear those memories. Tonight on AEW, where or people are watching, or maybe that are watching in the back, uh, there was an Iron Man match with Kenny Omega and Pac. Uh, we saw, obviously, a lot of Iron Man matches in WWF, but we never really saw one in WCW, or at least not in the Nitro era or the NWO era of WCW. Uh, what are your thoughts of Iron Man match, and is there a reason why we never saw it You know, after 94, 95? Uh, you know, I don't think there was any particular reason why we didn't see him other than... Again, <coughs> sorry, my opinion at that time <coughs> is that there was only a few people that could credibly go out there and deliver a great Iron Man match. Mm. And if you put, you know, if you put someone who's really not capable of going out there and, and putting in a good 30 or 60 minutes or whatever it takes – uh, and be able to sustain the match and the energy and tell the story, um, you're kind of doing the idea of an Iron Man match a disservice. And there just wasn't that many people that were capable of having him at that time. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Jay Evans wants to know, what are your thoughts on the women's division now versus, he says then, and I think he means either in your your time in the WWE or, before, or prior to that. Well, I mean, it's obvious. You don't have to be, you know, a rocket scientist to to realize that the level of talent, athleticism, storytelling, character development has all eclipsed, you know, whatever it was back then. But that's true, I think, in a lot of forms of entertainment and in a lot of sport. You know, there weren't a lot of women wrestling. You know, when I was running WCW, they were few and far between. Uh, and and talented women wrestlers were even further and farther between. You know, there were standouts even in my early AWA days, like, you know, Wendy Richter, for example, uh, was a really, really talented uh, woman. By today's standards, she's pretty good. Back then, she was pretty amazing. But there wasn't a lot of other women for her to work with because it was just not a, a, an industry that a lot of women aspired to be a part of other than to be a valet. And that changed, you know, in WWE. And now it, it it's it's changing all over the world. And I'm sure in AEW and other organizations, you're going to see more and more women wrestling. Women wrestling was big in Japan because there was a lot more of them. And it's easier to tell more stories with better talent when you've got a bigger pool of talent to work with. Uh, but in my, you know, during my era, if you kind of hate saying that, I sound older than I already am. <laughs> <laughs> back in my day, you whippersnapper. Uh, back at, back then, you know, you didn't have that that deeper pool of talent. That's right. Well, I have uh, one more burning personal question for you, Eric. You talked on this episode of 83 Weeks about Sonny Ono's racial discrimination lawsuit, he and a couple other guys as well, against WCW. You and he were such close friends. Was that something that he talked to you about before he did it? Like, did he seek advice from you, or um, did you tell him your opinion of him doing that? 
No, I, I didn't because I mean he, you know, he. he well, I had heard about it. I think it was in a dirt sheets or it was online or something. So I, I, I immediately knew about it. But Sonny knew that technically I was still under contract with WCW. Now, they had paid or played me, which meant I was just sitting at home collecting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. But technically, I was still under contract. And I'm sure Sonny's attorney gave him good advice and advised him not to tell anybody, not to talk to anybody about it. Uh, or, or and, and you know it's funny I've never talked to Sonny about that and ask him why he's, why he didn't call me give me a heads up uh, I, I think it's just common sense uh, it, it should have been common sense I think for Sonny if you're in a lawsuit you're you're about ready to gear up and fire up a shot across the bow <laughs> the last thing you want to do is run around telling everybody you know before you do it uh, now after the fact we certainly talked about it. Uh, but I was fully supportive. Again, I mentioned it on the podcast, and I, I apologize, I didn't go back and kind of do the research. But there was an interview that Russo did where he explicitly said that he doesn't want any Asians and Mexicans on this show because Americans want to watch Americans. Something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Not much. Not much, but a little bit. And, I mean, first of all, if you – first of all, when when I worked in Turner Broadcasting, you couldn't say I'm. Uh, if I were to go over to Ted's office and say, "Hey, Ted, guess what? I just did a giant, you know, foreign TV deal," I would have got my ass kicked out the door. It would have been an international television deal, not a foreign television deal. That's how sensitive Ted was because Ted had a bigger, broader view of the world than than most people did. And and he f- he felt like referring to international business partners or international forms of entertainment as foreign means less than. So Turner Broadcasting as a whole was a very 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 progressive place, and for it's Russo to come out and say what he said was so profoundly fucking stupid <laughs> that I, I I couldn't wait for him to get sued. <laughs> Ah, well, that sounds like uh, the reaction we should have expected from you, Eric. So thank you so much for joining us once again tonight and answering all of our nosy fun questions. The <laughs> chat roll is really feeling this. They're sending you all their love. And uh, we hope we'll see you again next week. I will be here. I'll be back in Cody next week. So. Oh, how exciting. Oh, can't wait to see you with your Remington case of guns in the background. <laughs> your I'll bar. put my cowboy hat on. Yes. I love it. Well, safe travels. We'll see you then. Thank Bye-bye. You. Uh, well, that's exciting. Eric and Mrs. B back in Cody, Wyoming. And we, of course, will be back here covering it next week. They are talking about, oh, they're doing a Nitro Watch Along yes. next week on 83 Weeks. So we will be talking about that as well. And, guys, if they want to hit you up in the meantime, where can they do that at? Uh, y'all can find me on Twitter almost exclusively. I am Steve Kaufman. It's at Steve Kaufman, K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N. And you can follow me at G Hermosa, G-H-E-R-M-O-Z-A on all the social media platforms. I love that. And guys, you can hear me Fridays on the Wrestling Inc. Daily News Podcast. And also check out Hot Mike. It's a brand new, really cool app where we do watch-alongs for Monday Night Raw. Zeta Zang was my guest since last week, and I'm working on some fun ones for the future. So use invite code Christy Reports to download that. And we will be back here next week with Eric. Tune in Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific right here on the 83 Weeks channel. Get your questions ready. We will see you then. Bye-bye. 
our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.